When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. I greatly enjoy hearing from you, the listener. Today's guest on Hemp Present is hemp expert, author, journalist, goat herder, speaker, and regenerative farming educator, Doug Fine. Fine is the author of six books, including American Hemp Farmer and the Boston Globe bestseller, Farewell, My Subaru. His writings and expertise have led to media appearances on Conan, The Tonight Show, BBC, and CNN, as well as testimony before the United Nations regarding international drug policies. Fine has taught his methods of cultivation and seed building at Vermont's Sterling College and online at DougFine.com. Most recently, Doug has cultivated hemp for food, farm-to-table products, and seed building in six US states. He spreads the word about culture and climate change with his award-winning journalism, which includes contributing to the New York Times and Washington Post and being a longtime correspondent for national public radio from five continents. But let's hear from the man himself. Welcome, Doug, to Cannabis Radio. It's so good to be here with you, Vivian. Thank you for having me. This is sort of um, like um, the Tonight Show for cannabis hemp people. It's like the Johnny Carson. <laughs> Yeah, I like to call it HMPR. <laughs> um, Doug, you're involved, you're involved in so many cool things that it'll be tough to cover them all in the time that we have allotted. So I'm just going to fire off a bunch of questions and we'll just do the best we can. Um, the 2018 Farm Bill legalized domestic cultivation of industrial hemp, which had been banned for like 80 years. How satisfied are you with the regulatory framework that the Farm Bill enacted? Does it go far enough? It's definitely getting there. And my full answer to that question depends on whether I'm wearing my, um, you know, how things should be uh, from the perspective of a remote, you know, homeschooling goat herder versus how things, you know, traditionally get done in, in legislative uh, protocol and procedure. 
Um, but even if we were looking at it from that nuts and bolts perspective, it's very good. Um, I've been feeling now for a couple of years that ever since the, even the um, first federal farm bill that allowed hemp for quote research purposes uh, in 2014, which really formally moved cannabis plant out of the Controlled Substances Act for the first time out of the purview of DEA and into agriculture, that we've been getting just about everything that we've asked for. Um, it's a little bit easier on the state level, various states hemp programs, which manage them. At the USDA level, it's a new relationship, starting with the 2018 Farm Bill. There's been a change of administration. The industry itself rapidly changes. But generally speaking, everything we ask for, we get. And that's being put to the test right now. The one big ask on the federal level right now is changing the federal definition of THC from 0.3% to 1%. Talk a little bit about the specifics of why that's important and the arbitrariness, the admitted arbitrariness of the original 0.3% definition. But I also want folks to remember that having the right to heal your soil, having a right to grow superfood, having a right to um, uh, uh, live a free and independent life is fundamental human rights. And um, you have a right to grow your own food. So the fact that at this moment I'm paying in New Mexico about $660 for a hemp permit um, when I could grow all the tomatoes I want is insane. And, you know, eventually there should be no regulation um, for home cultivation of cannabis hemp at all. Well, especially because you can't get high from it, you know, which isn't that big a deal either, but, but it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Doug, we're in a rapidly encroaching climate crisis. Some might say climate catastrophe. What kind of a role do you believe that hemp can play in mitigating or advancing climate change? I believe that hemp can play a vital role in helping humanity's climate control mission by um, the actions of its tap roots. Now, many of us who already are fans of the cannabis hemp plant um, love the sound of that, um, but let's, let's talk numbers. Um, I'm proud to report American hemp farmers, legal permitted American hemp farmers are already at half a million permitted acres in the U.S. Let's compare to 89.1 annual, uh, 89.1 million annual corn acres. So we have a long way to go. Um, hemp is not the only plant that does a good job at sequestering carbon, but because so many of us who are involved um, in hemp cannabis at the beginning of its re-legalization are also uh, acutely aware that humanity's in the bottom of the ninth with two out climate-wise, we're working it into our enterprise um, um, models that building soil, which is what we're really talking about, is part of our brand. The win-win on this, Vivian, is that the um, is that the hemp and cannabis is better quality, in my view. There's a movement now to get uh, widespread worldwide movement on 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 you know supposed food safety. That's basically taking the farmer off the farm and doing everything um, in a lab uh, in the name of uh, let's say sanitary con uh, conditions, ostensibly. But you know. I want my hands on my plants and I want farmers hands on the plants when I get it at a farmer's market or a CSA or a food co-op, um, especially if the farmer's the owner of the enterprise, because they're going to be giving love to that plant that you're not going to get out of, let's say, a hothouse tomato or hemp plant. 
So all the carbon sequestration is just part of the of a winning business plan in craft hemp. It's not anything that um, somebody has to feel like, oh, let's do this extra thing to do the right thing. It's win-win all around. It's just it's just automatically part of the process, right? Yeah. So what what hemp does is because it's an annual and because it has long tap roots, this will be not new. <laughs> news to the founder of Seattle Hunt Fest, but uh, I'm probably too many of the listeners, but to those who are, are new to what's actually happening, what, what hemp is doing it with the long tap roots is it's aerating soil. And I can tell you, gosh, from seeing a lot of monoculture uh, damaged soil, yeah, uh, it gets very compacted and you want, you need that aeration and then you can uh, rebuild soil with uh, lo- ideally locally derived microorganisms uh, that build from there into healthy soil. And what you're doing under the ground, determine, as much as your genetics determines what kind of plant, hemp, cannabis, or any plant, is going to come up. So this soil building is, I, I like to say, we're all soil builders now. You have said that none of us would be here today if not for the regenerative lifestyle, that it is only recently that humanity stopped living that way, and that we can reactivate that, quote, instinctive regenerative awareness, end quote, and start working together to save the planet. Can you expand upon those statements? The short answer is, except for a few dukes and queens and stuff, our great-grandparents didn't have supermarkets. And if the food wasn't grown every year, um, people didn't survive in, in much of the world. There have been, uh, of course, subsistence cultures, and there have been cultures that have stored grain for a long time. In fact, there's a lot of theory that that's how writing started, was just to record who owned the grain and how much there was and when it was harvested and all that. But um, so we have this memory. I hear people speaking about this to me all the time of, yeah, my people have lived in this region for a long time, and I have a little bit of a memory of like things my grandmother used to tell me about how to grow and put up the apples and how to pickle the cucumbers and things like that uh, all over the world. So we, we do have this genetic memory of how everybody had to live. And I'm not rooting for supply, modern digital age supply chains to sever. I really think, you know, we all are benefiting from, from what, despite all the downsides, is, you know, a remarkable... Uh, culture um, and uh, in the digital age. So, but I'm nonetheless think it's fun to have uh, lessons along the way, just in case you need to be uh, providing your own food security. And in many ways, that's synonymous with regenerative um, protocols and values because if field is not ready to produce food each year, many people won't survive. There's a technique that I've become familiar with that's one of many soil building techniques, and I really um, think there are many, and I'm not advocating anyone, uh, called Korean Natural Farming, or KNF, and I've just met some good practitioners of it. And bottom line, in certain parts of Asia, a lot of people had to be fed without a lot of farmland. That farmland had to be fresh as a daisy and strong every single year. And um, there's techniques where you're basically living in balance and not many, not all of them are strange, you know, we, you can incorporate these sort of microbial building techniques with smart crop rotation and other modes. Um, I should say that I'm just back from a hemp project. I'm proud to be helping the Rosebud Sioux tribe on a big 125 acre organic hemp food project. I love 
superfood project. Surrounding that project is a lot of what today is called conventional farming. And let's not kid ourselves. I went with these quote conventional farmers, really good farmers and smart people, great people who are under, they understand the value of organic and all that, but they're assigned to plant what they're told to plant and watching these pivots moving on the monoculture and knowing the spring that's going on. Um, we definitely have a big shift ahead of us if we want humanity to survive. Um, I, but I, I'll say uh, I remain cautiously optimistic because I think farmers everywhere are seeing the soil uh, losing its productivity and they're understanding ways that the soil used to be um, used to be kept. And um, so I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic we may make the shift in time. It's uh, it's time for our first break. But when you say monoculture farming, you're talking about big agriculture and their tendency to have one plant in like a, a quarter square mile area, right? And just uh, with no diversity whatsoever and chemical fertilizers and stuff, right? That's right. If you go to the supermarket and you're buying a mass produced item that's not certified organic, you're probably buying genetically modified corn and or soy um, in that whatever cereal box or cracker box that came from a field that was um, sprayed with a product that the company is taking off the market on the, on the consumer side. Uh, in 2022, uh, but keeping on their commercial food and um, yeah, a lot of water on water. Yeah, a lot of lot of monoculture. <laughs> I am speaking to author and hempo sapien Doug Fine. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our second segment. Stay with us. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong hemperer of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present with Doug Fine. Doug, your own hemp seeds have been used to clean contaminated soil in a New Mexico University study. Can you touch on the role that hemp can play as a natural remediator of heavy metals and radiation in the soil and why that might be important? Many plants are phytoremediators. It's sort of the nature of what's happening. The roots are going down and they're pulling up elements from the soil. Sometimes it's nutrients, but it can also be toxins. Hemp is particularly good at that. It's really known and for a long time that it has been done that. And I'm glad to have provided genetics for a study just um, this last two years ago, actually was now, um, that did show, yeah, promising early results in hemp uh, pulling up uh, uranium from contaminated mining soil in our southwest region, and those were those were genetics that I, I've been working on and provided. So I was glad to hear that. In addition to, you know, on clean soil providing superfood and strong fiber and nice flour and cannabinoids and terpenes, uh, it also actually is, uh, you know, I, I helping clean soil. And I think you know many varieties of hemp will do that, and many other plants as well. So um, this becomes a really big question because a huge percentage of the, as we talked a little bit earlier, a huge percentage of the earth's soil is stressed now from from large-scale monoculture. Um, farms used to be diversified, and then as world markets developed, farmers were encouraged 
um, through subsidies and, and being provided grain and all that kind of thing to, uh, to grow certain plants in certain qu quantities. And, you know, it works for a certain type of management style, but um, it's part of my overall feeling beyond hemp that the entire uh, economy is wise to move to a more regional focus, uh, reinvesting, you know, same entrepreneurialism, but reinvest, reinvesting locally, um, that will help uh, generate these shifts. So point being, if a farmer is eking out a certain living growing, I mean, in large scale U.S. states, farming states, people will talk about sections of, uh, you know, more than a thousand acres, and they're growing more than one section of, let's say, what I would call robocorn or or a, or a not, or a, or a GMO um, uh, soy or something like that, and um, you you know they they may be seeing productivity differences uh, uh, declines, but then sometimes prices will rise, and it's always kind of a treading water thing, and very difficult to say. Don't take that money that's paying your mortgage and your your payments on your uh, you know farm gear, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Um, don't do that anymore. Shift to this other crop because it's the right thing to do and it cleans soil. There has to be a level of desperation before that happens. And let me tell you, I have met farmers that have reached that level of desperation. And I'm talking about large scale farmers. Um, you know, for new farmers and small scale farmers, yeah, we can leap right in and start healing with soil. But um, I'd love to see farming communities be able to integrate a shift to regenerative farming and have it pay them more um, in the marketplace. As a means to an end, I'm a big fan of farmer co-ops, by the way. Um, as my friend Bill Althaus of the Fat Pig Society Organic um, Hemp Cooperative in Colorado taught me, farmers get something like a penny on the dollar of the final price of m many kind of uh, crops, vegetables that you might find in a, in a supermarket uh, produce section. And his goal as cooperative is after expenses, farmers to get oh, the whole dollar, 100 cents, right? So even a, a, um, going to 50 cents would be a huge Im improvement. And for that, we have to, as shoppers, think about hey, is this a farmer-owned enterprise for these eggs or this hemp? You're developing a docu-series, docu American Hemp Farmer, based on your book, uh, I believe with the same name. What's that all about? And when might we expect to be able to enjoy and learn from that? I so appreciate you asking about that, Vivian. Yeah, the, the TV show is called American Hemp Farmer with Doug Fine, and it is the same name as my most recent book. And the concept is basically everything we've been talking about today, but giving it a visual element, um, you know, full disclosure, it's just fun for me to move into a new medium um, and to host a show um, and move out from the printed word and radio work that I've done thus far. And I'm just absolutely having a blast uh, telling these stories of regenerative farmers that are um, uh, dedicated to not only, let's say, having a farm to uh, product mission for their uh, hemp and other ag products, but um, making that their brand, bragging about it. This, you know, buy this hemp and you sequestered X, uh, um, um, you know, tons of carbon. Um, so hoping that the show will be funny and amusing in its own right for people who just want to be entertained, but also uh, the storyline is really who says saving the world can't be a blast. Like we're, we're, we're trying to do something here <laughs> to extend humanity tenure for, all of our grandkids and beyond and here's some models of how it might be done and i should say how it always has been done there's some historical stuff um i did some harvesting of hemp at at uh, founding fathers estates with sickles and and told some of those uh, stories um spoiler alert the 250 year old 
harvesting sickles are very sharp. And I, I did not call cut when I cut my thumb because I thought that was that would make some good television. You, you know, I want to say how exciting I think that is because on my television, I see these so-called reality TV shows about gold mining, logging, that they're glorifying destruction of the biosphere uh, and trying to make it all exciting and sexy. And so, wow, this seems like a really cool antidote to that. Thanks for saying that. And I really do hope it's, you know, I, I'll never stop writing. And, and when you reach someone in a book or an article, you really, really reach them. So you might reach a um, hundred times more people with the TV show if there's millions of eyeballs on it. Um, and maybe not everybody's going to be reached as much or, or be fully paying attention, but it just seemed like a fun way to, to expand the story. And it's so beautiful to be a place that many people don't get to be these days, just in the middle of a beautiful field in the middle of a season with, with hummingbirds around. A lot of the storylines are in really remote and beautiful um, spots. So I'm having a blast with it and we're, we're shopping for networks now, but we're plugging along and filming and um, it's ready to go. Uh, Doug, a bear that was escaping from a local wildfire attacked and killed, and many people might not, not know this, killed Natalie Merchant, Stevie Nicks, and Bette Midler on your property. Not the singers by those names, but goats of yours. In fact, you are a goat breeder and keeper, and you even drink the milk that your goats produce. How is it that you're such a renowned goat aficionado, and what should the average person know about goats that they might not? Goats love you as much as dogs do but they don't have that desire to do what you're saying just because you're saying it. And really many dogs, they say only do that when you're around, you know, you know, if you leave the, the steak on the, on the table and go into bed, is it going to still be there in the morning, even though they wouldn't dare grab it while you were there. Um, but goats, you have to, it has to work for everyone. And the secret is music. Um, not by accident is the sort of um, myth mythical pan presented as part goat playing his, his flute, his pipes. Um, if I honk my saxophone with, um, you know, a painful Coltrane, um, the goats will follow me back from wherever they busted out or whatever. They're super smart and mischievous and I love them. I meditate with them. They give me a lot of food. And I just actually shot a little video today that shouts out a, a regenerative uh, online hemp course that I'm doing that shows how much they love hemp goat feed, which is a whole future coming market, a huge coming market um, for farmers, uh, the superfood for our non-human friends, as well as for ourselves. I mean, my goats eat as well as the humans do here on the Funky Butte Ranch. Doug, we have about two minutes till the next break. Um, America has, for just crazy reasons, been treating non-euphoric hemp as if it were a dangerous narcotic. Uh, and we're just starting to turn that around as we've already talked about. How far behind the rest of the world is the United States in terms of hemp processing or hemp production processing or marketing? It's great that you phrase that question that way and breaking down the categories because production, it's still not high enough in certain parts of the plant, um, like fiber. Um, friends of mine who market um, hemp curd, the once you know very low value inner core is the hot, hot fiber market now for things like microbial balanced livestock bedding and hemp based building, sometimes called hempcrete building among other applications. Um, he still has to import. So there's not nearly enough hemp production, but hemp production is on the rise. And there's so many farmers willing to produce hemp, willing to grow hemp. Um, in large acreage if they're going to be offered good prices. 
I generally don't like to recommend farmers just be kind of contractors to the, for the middleman, that they are wiser to be uh, entrepreneurial. But there are certain areas where, the example being the tribal project that I mentioned, the Rosebud Sioux Tribe that I'm helping this year, they're getting a very, very good price for organic hemp seed. And, um, you know, if everything goes well for the first year, they could do better than break even on 125 acres, which could inspire them to, to expand. And even when I'm telling the other local both conventional farmers about this and the value and the price, they do the math in their head, they're business people and they're like, uh-huh, they're paying attention. Um, so being behind, maybe catching up really quickly, yes, but the issue um, for most parts of the plant's architecture now, especially food and fiber, is definitely production uh, processing. processing definitely, right? We don't have the processing yeah. facilities in America, right? Yes. Is that changing? And it's it's well, it depends what you're processing for. So let's take the fiber. It's not that crazy. And yes, it is. Qu quickly. There are, there are quickly, because we, we have to go to break. Sure. It is happening. But yeah, it's a, it's a high investment cost. And, and there's a knowledge base in producing fiber. But I do believe we'll get there. And we are getting there. Awesome. Awesome. Let's let's hope it happens sooner than later. I am talking to Doug Fine. We're going to take another break and come back for our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. All right, we're here for the final segment with Doug Fine. Uh, Doug, you are such a bastion of knowledge, man. I could talk to you for hours, but sadly, we only have a little over three minutes left. How can people follow your good deeds? And what would you like to leave our listeners with? Thanks so much for this, Vivian. And I just have to say that you um, are among the, uh, the people that have helped spread the word about hemp uh, through the U.S. and the world as much or more than any others. And so um, thank you for your work. Um, thanks. thanks for asking us how folks can hear about mine. Um, there's sort of a one-stop resource for everything from my books and audio books to a registration link for my online regenerative hemp course, which folks can take at their own pace from anywhere. You get a hemp completion certificate at the end, kind of sort of a comprehensive uh, season long uh, examination to help uh, folks get started on the regenerative side um, to videos, um, TED talks and some testimony before world bodies and uh, um, uh, Conan O'Brien appearances and things like that. So there's everything there is one-stop shopping on my website, dougfine.com. And, um, and there's I, lots of pictures oh, of goats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, happy hemp-fed goats. Social media is at Organic Cowboy and hope folks will keep their ears and eyes open for the American Hemp Farmer TV show when it's ready to, ready to uh, come to air. 
Great. Um, I have one more uh, one more question I'd like to just return to very quickly, if that's okay. Um, and that is that hemp-based food products made with whole hemp seed, hemp oil, hemp milk, hemp flour are available in some food outlets across America. Um, just, just you know, a, kind of a last thought. How important is hemp in securing food security for humanity? Um, you kind of touched on that, but I'm just, I just wonder if you can expand on that just a little bit. Since I believe 1996, the U.S. has had hemp listed among the essential crops that should be stored and stockpiled in times of um, uh, national emergencies. So that was quite a long time, a couple decades before federal legalization. Um, I know I eat it every day. It's an omega balanced superfood. It um, has a lot of minerals that are hard to find in other foods, including um, uh, selenium and, and magnesium. Uh, Gamma-linaic acid also is hard to find that in natural sources, really good for us. So um, high protein as well, one variety that I grow tested out uh, above 31% protein. So it's, it's a genuine superfood. Um, and the issue of how widely can it be readopted because it's a traditional food worldwide, um, you know, it's a question we don't really know about tastes are good for, but um, I think we should start a worldwide diet craze. Hemp keeps you thin. There's some research um, by Professor Ching Lee uh, out of University of Hawaii preliminary research that shows that a hemp seed diet might help inhibit the growth of lipid cells or fight the obesity epidemic. So uh, eat hemp to keep thin. Doug Fine, thank you so much for raising the temperature on this show, man. Hempy trails to you, bro. <laughs> Great to be with you. Thank you. All right. That includes this installment of Hempers in on Cannabis Radio when it comes to prohibition. You've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice. Find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. See you next week, folks. Stay strong. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.